0: Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro podcast. I am Shauna Simawong. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we are here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so they can be more effective in their jobs. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would love for you to take a moment and just
1: introduce yourself, your title, and your organization. I usually introduce myself by saying that I'm a salesperson at my core, you know, I started as so many do um, setting appointments for for salespeople, which um, is a tough job, but a great kind of foundational place. I think for any sales career to begin, I deeply, truly love what I do in sales enablement. I work both for you know very large um, tech companies, software companies, as well as very small startups um, and have enjoyed every every aspect of it. Um, And sales enablement, you know, I think we've just kind of scratched the surface in terms of of what we can do and what we can bring to business from a strategic and value-add standpoint. And I couldn't be any more excited um, to see what the next 10 years brings.
0: In an excerpt from your book, you wrote that the impetus for sales enablement at most companies is the existence of some failure that occurred pre-enablement, making the case for sales enablement that is something sales cannot live without. In your opinion, why is that the case? And what are some urgency drivers for sales enablement? Um, And what problems does it solve?
1: You know, it's interesting to reflect back on that comment and just kind of think about where we were with sales enablement at that time. I think three, four or five years ago, this was absolutely the case. I think that it is not so much the case anymore. Um, I think we're in a situation now where leaders, CEOs, Um, heads of sales organizations really understand the value and the strategic impact that sales enablement can make. And, you know, where most of us who work in sales understand that the pain is a huge driver for for many decisions, including, you know, buying decisions and org structure decisions and and where you invest your money internally um, within your company. Um, I think that now sales enablement has almost become an aspirational type of investment. You know most often when i talk to sales leaders what their dream is when it comes to having a world-class sales enablement team is to have that be the impetus for creating um, a a best-in-class sales organization overall and a selling team that has a reputation in the market of of being the very best Um, and so i think we've come a really long way in the last couple of years
0: absolutely absolutely we have what would you say are the problems that sales enablement though is responsible for today
1: it's such a different way of of looking at it than how i i normally approach it it is the same set of problems that you'll see any sales leader trying to solve so it's you know how do i hire and retain the best people how do i drive productivity um, how do I make sure that our, our culture is, is maintained and enhanced through everything that we're doing? How do we make sure that you know our best salespeople continue to choose us as the place to work year after year after year? Um, all of those things are a part of, of what sales enablement is responsible for, and so you really need to kind of look at it from a very human point of view, you know, and and that's why the the per sales persona is so important. I think it's. It's tougher for folks coming from, say, a marketing or or product type of background to lean into a a sales enablement role because the persona is not as familiar to them. Now, I will say that there are some folks that just kind of were meant to be in in sales and um, they they finally find their home in sales enablement. But really embracing that persona and kind of understanding how a salesperson thinks, behaves breathes, acts, all of that becomes an incredibly important part for how you approach delivering a successful sales enablement program. And and then if you kind of bring that all back to the bigger picture, there will always be more to do than you have time or resources to tackle. Um, So it's making sure that you focus on the things that the business is focused on. So that the initiatives that sit at the um, chief revenue officer level. Um, are the ones that you put most of your time and energy into. There are going to be some baseline deliverables um, and things that you have to have in place kind of for everything else to work. Um, but focus on, focus on the broader initiatives, the one that the company is placing their big bets on, and make sure that from an enablement standpoint, you're doing everything to make those successful. Um, and it, it will all work out the way that it's supposed to.
0: I I often hear that sales enablement um, is the fixer of broken things. I think you've heard mm-hmm. that terminology before. Um, but what are some of the problems that sales enablement doesn't solve for and shouldn't be responsible for?
1: Yeah, I think this is an important thing to, to spend some time thinking through a, a little bit more. Because we certainly, as a business function, have had problems. Um, great attention over the last couple of years, and you see companies investing more and more in sales enablement. But I think, you know, as an understanding grows of, of what sales enablement is capable of, you know, there needs to also be an understanding of sort of what the boundaries are. And, you know, what I have learned over, over doing this for a number of years, if there's some things that, if you, if you try to solve for them through sales enablement, not only will the sales enablement team fail, um, but you're, you know, potentially just masking problems that exist within the organization that you need to, to pay attention to in a different kind of way. Um, and most of these things are, are fairly large. Um, if there's not a good vision in place for the business, you, you can't solve for that through sales enablement. If messaging and positioning are not in place, um, that's also something that makes it very difficult to have the same kind of impact with sales enablement programs as you can when sales enablement can connect to broader positioning and messaging within the organization for um, what it is that they're building for the sales team. I think the final area that you want to just kind of pay attention to closely is whether or not there's a leadership problem. So leadership is certainly very important for a sales team. Um, It's the kind of job that you have to make happen you know, every day, every week, every month, every quarter. And, you know, having good motivational leadership in place is is important to, you know, create a team that produces at the right level. Um, So those would be the the main areas that I would take a look at. Uh, Messaging, positioning, leadership, sales enablement can connect to those um, and and be a part of, of bringing them to life, particularly with the sales persona. Um, But if there's a problem that exists within the company in one of those areas, you can't address it through sales enablement.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. What are some ways in which sales enablement practitioners can set the right boundaries within their organization for what it is that they are responsible for?
1: Oh boy, gosh, is there a job that has more boundaries than sales enablement? I think that that HR is probably the easiest area to set boundaries with. If a particular program applies to all employees, then it belongs in HR. If it applies specifically to roles within the sales organization, then most likely sales enablement should get involved. Um, The question becomes bigger when you take a look at marketing because there are so many different parts of the marketing organization. you know, they certainly have um, a very strong role to play with the sales team. Um, I think that if you, if you take a look at it from an audience perspective again, um, that's, that's where you can create boundaries that, that make sense. So for example, you know, customer-facing content, you know, belongs within the marketing team. A sales tool probably in most cases would sit within sales enablement. Because a big part of the expertise that sales enablement brings to the table is that understanding of the sales persona and what it is that they need to be successful. And that doesn't mean that a sales enablement team wouldn't be tapping into subject matter experts um, or or other expertise or talent that exists within marketing. Um, But because it's specifically for the sales persona, uh, the sales enablement team has a big role to play there. And I think the one other thing that we forget sometimes is that it is a two-way relationship. So no matter who you're working with across the organization, whether it's part of marketing or HR, um, then you you wanna make sure that not only are you you receiving inputs from them, but you're giving feedback to them. um, And so that you make sure that that there's that two-way communication in place um, and that everyone's benefiting from the relationship. The one last group that I'll mention in terms of boundaries um, would be first line sales managers and they have a very, very important role to play in enablement. Um, most enablement teams work at a headquarters or or you know large group kind of level, and so that ability on a day to day basis to coach a rep a lot of times will come down to that first line manager. And so, you know, how do you, how do you work together to make sure that. You're complementing each other. And, and that's something that you need to spend some time working out. Everybody needs to agree to. Um, but making sure that, that there are good boundaries in place there and that you guys are complementing each other will only help the sales team to be more successful.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned frontline sales managers. You, you've written in the past about the relationship between sales and sales enablement it really needs to be a partnership. And I think you're absolutely right. I think frontline sales managers are probably one of the first stops the sales enablement professionals should make um, in building a very strong partnership with sales. What are some strategies that you've seen sales enablement practitioners use to build out that partnership?
1: You know, it's funny. I don't even think of sales leadership and sales enablement as, as being part of separate teams. They really are part of the same team. Um, I think it's very important that sales enablement leaders have a seat at the table um, from a sales leadership standpoint and be present um, and have input while key decisions are made for the business Um, that's certainly a big part of it. Um, There's also kind of a a mindset that an enablement team needs to have you know, ideally you've got folks on your team, and it it may not be everyone, um, but certainly you know those that work most closely with field leadership having some experience in their past carrying a quota. Having worked in the field, I'm um, having sales in their background really, really helps out a great deal. Um, I think about some folks that have worked for me in the past and, you know, they, they could have stayed in sales careers, but they just truly love that experience that has. How do we operationalize this on a, on a grander level and being part of something like that, and so they end up being drawn into sales enablement, but they very much have, you know, the same kind of thought process and motivation. Um, and and way of existing and solving problems as folks that carry a quota out in the field so i think that kind of like-mindedness plays a big role and then it's really about you helping them be more effective at their jobs and making their jobs easier in a lot of ways so you know we we take the skills that they already have um, invest in them and and make them better at what they do Um, most sales leaders are great and and receptive to that kind of coaching because that's how they got to where they are today you know they worked with with other individuals and and learned how to fine-tune their craft um, and and sales truly is a profession and there's a lot of craft involved in in being really good at it and so if you can approach it with that mindset um, and and really be oriented towards setting them up to be successful i i think you're most of the way there and then it's about good old fashioned you know process and content and reinforcement um, and metrics of course absolutely absolutely must prove the value
0: now you alluded to this a little bit but i want to i want to highlight it because i think it's important you mentioned the importance of a sales enablement practitioner you know having potentially had a past experience carrying quota and You've also mentioned kind of sales empathy in the past. So why, from your perspective, is it important for sales enablement practitioners to have sales empathy?
1: Sure, I think we've all been in a place where sales is seen almost as a necessary evil. I have to say, I, I see that less and less and, and perhaps I'm just so embedded now within sales organizations that that is less common. Um, but it is, it's, a, it's a tough job and I, I think that for if you are not doing it, you don't really realize what it is like to you know, to have that career in sales. Um, the job doesn't happen to you. You have to keep making it happen. No matter how awesome you were last quarter, you have to you know, start all over again and, and make it happen this quarter. And very few jobs um, out there in the world are like this. And we all know if you're, if you're a great salesperson, you are rewarded well for it. And and that's why I think if you were to ask 10 people in a room if they wanted to take on a sales job, you'd find maybe one out of 10 that would really lean into something like that. And so I I know when I've built teams in the past and hired people into sales enablement, one of the things that I think is is critically important um, is to have real respect for sales as a profession and to approach everything that they do from that standpoint. Um, And I think it makes all the difference in the world.
0: Absolutely. On that on that same note, what else do you look for when you're hiring people mm. into enablement roles, um, both from within the organization and externally?
1: Yeah, this can be a tough one. And if, if I were to point to you maybe one thing that is that is holding back um, development of, of sales enablement and companies really being able to invest heavily in this area is that there is not yet, although I think that there will be, there is not yet deep bench strength of individuals out there with true modern sales enablement experience. And so, you know, it many times when you're looking to fill roles, you kind of have to broaden your horizons. You know, it's not just as simple as posting, you know, we're looking for someone with three to five years of sales enablement experience in this particular space. And you're you're not filling a sales enablement role the same way that you would a sales ops role for, for example. Um, couple of things that I, I think are really important, and I think a lot of these are, are soft skill oriented. So I, I look for people who are charming. And I, I know that sounds like an odd word, but certainly because of the cross-functional nature of the work, that ability to work with all types of people, to work across teams and do it in a very effective way, um, having, having a warmth and a charm and a graciousness um, comes in handy. Um, for a lot of these folks, they're going to be in front of a room at some point, um, commanding that room, facilitating a conversation, giving a presentation. So that that presence is, is very important. Um, their demands on sales enablement are significant, and you are driven sometimes to to deadlines that are not flexible in any way. So an ability to get things done and get them done excellently, um, according to a deadline, I think is, is really, really important. Um, the one other thing that that i look for i look for work ethic because i don't think that you can train on that and i also like to hire folks who have some background even if they're very early in their career of you know achievement against a goal so it doesn't necessarily have to be a sales goal it could be something else it could be something in sports or something they did through their academic career but just just looking for someone with that kind of orientation Um, they're sort of naturally more inclined to understand what sales enablement needs to bring to the table.
0: And so given that, that there's not a strong, solid bench of sales enablement Mm. practitioners with, as you referred to as modern experience, which I'd love to circle back on in in just a minute. um, How then do you go about ensuring that the sales enablement professionals that you bring into the organization themselves get trained and ramped? Um, and have a place to kind of share best practices with regard to sales enablement?
1: You know, that's such a great question. And I think it's very much um, a cobbler's children kind of story. I'm trying to think back for the last last few teams that I've built in sales enablement, um, if we truly were able to invest a, a lot um, in their personal development. And I think the answer is probably no. Um, we do from a from a sales enablement standpoint we do rehearse a lot and we do prepare and and perhaps you know that can bleed a little bit over into the personal development side of things you know if if you're preparing to present in front of a large team at a, a kickoff event or um, you're putting together a, a, a training program within a, a boot camp structure or um, perhaps a roadshow kind of environment, you're not going to go out and do that for the first time without ha- having significant preparation, feedback from your coworkers, you know, kind of checking and cross checking that it's excellent. Um, and I think through that, um, there is a development component for sales enablement. You know, the other thing that I would point to, if you're if you're working with outside vendors, you know, a lot of the time there is certification or train the trainer opportunities that come along. Um, and I've had folks on my team really take advantage of those and, and be able to bring, you know, knowledge and skill sets and IP into their organizations um, and then take that along with them as they progress in their career. So
0: from your perspective, how should the success of sales enablement be measured? What are some of the core KPIs that you think sales enablement should be held accountable for within an organization?
1: You know, I think the simplest answer to that is bookings and revenue. It's just as simple as that. Is the company achieving against its goals or not? Are they meeting or exceeding quota? Um, Now you want to break down a little bit more than that, of course looking at at ramp i i do think is important um, and what i'd like to see there are what i refer to as as leading indicators which tie to pipeline you know can this new salesperson that you brought on board after being you know th- through all of the training that they receive as a, as a new salesperson at your company can they create pipeline can they advance pipeline um, how long does it take to get them to their first deal Those are all metrics that you want to track and ideally you want to see that normalized over a series of hires so that you've got a sense that you know if we bring, let's say, 10 new salespeople into the organization, we know that they're going to perform at X level. And that's really powerful for an organization. It's such an investment for a company to hire salespeople and SEs and channel folks and SDRs and all of the different large group teams that you'll bring into Um, a a tech organization, which is what most most of my um, experience has been around you, you want to have some predictability around their success. You want to know that the training that you're giving them and the people that you're bringing into the company are are set up to be successful, but that's, you know, that's, that's only one piece of it. That's the onboarding piece um, where I hope that we'll get to. And I think, think that we're not quite there yet as, as an enablement function, Um, but I'd love to to see us moving into what I almost refer to as personalized enablement, so you think about what people talk about with personalized medicine. If we were able to, through a series of metrics, um, really kind of tap into where an individual sales rep or even a first line manager is at a particular point in their career. And marry that to the right enablement, kind of think of it as, as just in time type of enablement for you know what they're specifically needing to learn. Um, and and serve that up to them in a way that kind of moves them along that learning curve and see it have an impact, Um, I think that's potentially a very exciting place for enablement in the future. We're not quite there yet, but but I think it's coming.
0: I I think you're right. I I would love to hear from you. Where do you think the gaps exist between getting us Mm. from where we are today
1: to that nirvana state? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get completely to Nirvana, but I think we can certainly get closer. Um, I th- data is one of the pieces that that is that we struggle with, and I think all companies struggle with getting, you know, complete actionable data. If I've learned anything over the last couple of years, is that a it's hard to get you know clean good data, but also for a company to be able to tell the story from from the data that they have. And figure out the the action around that. That's also an, an area that's a challenge. I think that AI will help us with that. Um, and then when you look at how enablement teams are staffed today, most of them are woefully understaffed. You know, they can do sort of the the headquarters level things, maybe the larger events like a kickoff or or a roadshow. Um, they can you know, do the onboarding piece and maybe build out a little bit of content. But when you start looking at something like personalized enablement that takes a, a greater degree of attention or a different kind of approach more of a bottom up approach, if you will, to making sure that, you know, you're looking at the, these folks as individuals, as opposed to just sort of you know, large groups of people that need to go through a set of training. And so, you know, one of the areas is just making that investment and understanding that your organization needs that, and that it will have value. Um, but you really just need to test it. You know, salespeople and sales leaders make decisions quickly, and and so I think if we can get to the to a place where we prove it through a pilot type of format, um, you'll see it grow from there.
0: Absolutely. I have to admit this is a little bit of a tangent question, but but related, you referenced being kind of understaffed or under-resourced. Mm-hmm. I, we get that question a lot. What is the, in your perspective, the appropriate ratio for staffing a sales enablement <laughs> team?
1: So I think a, a ratio model, unfortunately, doesn't fit enablement. I wish that it did because it would make it so much easier. I look at it more as a, as a relationship model. So you, you have to have certain functions covered. You know, you look at look at the roles that you have that have more than say ten people in them in your organization, and so you have to have staffing to cover those personas. You have to have coverage for sales, coverage for technical teams, for partners, for first line managers, for sales development reps. Those tend to be the the fairly large groups um, within the organization. And depending on the number of people in each of those roles and the depth of the enablement needed, you may need more than one person. So for example, you know, technical enablement tends to be, you know, very detailed. So it's quite common to have, you know, multiple people that need to support that persona. Um, And then you need some back office or operational staff you know you'll have technology and systems. Um, communications logistics are all a big part of enablement so you need a team to, to work on that oftentimes as you get bigger you need a content person or two or three. Um, possibly a designer to make sure that the material that you're putting together is packaged well and that right there is, is just for a headquarters team. And if you if you get to that you know bottoms up model that I was describing a, a little bit earlier. Then I think what you need to do is to put enablement folks in place to partner with the leaders that you have in the field. So if you have, say for a larger company, you have an East Coast, a Central and a West Coast leader, they probably need um, an enablement person that aligns to them. Same thing with your head of EMEA, your head of APAC, you kind of see where I'm going with this.
0: Absolutely, no, I think that that is very helpful. Um, for a lot of the folks that are just getting started building out their teams and trying to ensure, sure, the best or they're structure. a team of one mm-hmm. or
1: two, and uh, they're trying to do it all, which is tough. Yeah, what would you say is
0: the best way for, for a lean team, a lean sales enablement mm-hmm. team, to really get executive support and buy-in to support their initiatives, um, not necessarily only from a staffing standpoint, but um, often even from a budget standpoint.
1: If I think back to sort of the early days um, when I was first starting out in enablement, I had a lot of passion around this. I was working for a fairly large company. Um, And in that situation, it was a, look, I I, I see, I see a hole or, or an opportunity that exists within, you know, how we're going to market around this particular product. Here's, here's an idea that I have for solving it. Would you sponsor me in, in running a pilot? And I was able to get, you know, a yes on what I think was a twenty thousand dollar project at that time. And we ran the pilot. We had great success with it. It it birthed probably, you know, 10 other projects just like that and opened up the door for more enablement. Um, If I'm not mistaken, um, that particular company is is still doing um, these deliverables today. So it's lived on for a long period of time after that. But it is really just kind of getting that first enablement deliverable at the door and then a slightly bigger enablement deliverable. And then it tends to break free from there.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Sharon. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to Sales Enablement Pro.
1: Awesome, Shauna, thank
0: you. Thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you want to know more about, let us know. We'd love to hear from you.